But it has always been small businesses that have contagious ideas that change the fashion industry. They change what the fashion industry makes, and they change how the fashion industry makes it. So when Nike started, they were a tiny little business, and they changed what footwear became. And if we think about the ateliers... Welcome to Better Business Founder, the podcast for purpose-driven business founders seeking to build a meaningful business on their own terms. I'm Liki Tang, and I'm here with you today to find out how better business founders build strong businesses that deliver value to people and to the planet. Are you ready to create change with your business? If so, let's go. Today, I'm super excited to share with you my conversation with Seth Gordon. Most people know Seth Gordon through his work in the field of marketing, as he has founded several companies. The most famous one is YoYoDyne, one of the first web-based direct marketing firms that was acquired in 1998 by Yahoo for $30 million. Then he founded Squidoo one of the 500 most visited websites in the world back in 2008. Seth is also a successful author who has published 20 international best-selling books. He's also a very prolific blogger who has written over 8,000 blog posts. And he's the host of the Akimbo podcast, where he shares ideas about our culture and how we can change it. This conversation is very special to me because Seth is to me, most of all, a wonderful and generous teacher. I have learned so much from Seth through his books, podcasts, talks, and workshops. He is someone I personally look up to, and I'm deeply grateful to him for sharing his wisdom and for this conversation. Actually, this conversation started with a question I've asked him to, which he's answered generously on his podcast. It was along the lines of how a small fashion business seeking to create change can be seen and heard in today's very noisy world. Then Seth kindly accepted my invitation to elaborate on the topic on the Better Business Founder podcast. Wow. So, if you are a business owner seeking to create change with your business, and not necessarily in the fashion industry. This episode is definitely for you. Seth Godin will help you understand how a small mission-driven fashion business can create change and to even lead change in the industry. You will discover why running a business is also an act of creativity. And you will learn about the tools for modern business owners that want to make a difference. So, please, welcome Seth Gordon. I would like to start with a question, which is, this podcast is for mission-driven fashion business owners who are in a mission to create a difference or start creating a difference with their business. And I'm just wondering, um, because I have a lot of uh, people telling me that I'm a bit foolish to believe that it's possible to have a small business and a small business in the fashion, in the creative industry, and believe that we could make 
a difference or ignite a difference. So I'm just wondering, is it something that you feel is completely foolish and a romantic perspective of entrepreneurship or it is something that is true and effective, could be true and effective? Oh, I don't think it's foolish at all. I think it's brave and generous, but uh, you're really asking two questions. There are really two things you're talking about. One, is it possible to make a small business that actually survives? And two, does a small business make any difference in the world? And when we think about the fashion industry, just over 100 years ago, there was a fire in New York City where dozens of women died because the fashion industry had a sweatshop mentality and they were actually locked into the building. And as recently as five years ago or 10 years ago, there were headlines on the front page about how sweatshops in places like Bangladesh were treating people so poorly. But it has always been small businesses that have contagious ideas that change the fashion industry. They change what the fashion industry makes and they change how the fashion industry makes it. So when Nike started, they were a tiny little business and they changed what footwear became. And if we think about the ateliers in Paris, most of those are very small hand-run shops, but they change what we expect. So fashion, fashion isn't like farming. We don't need fashion. We, don't, we need food. We don't need fashion. What we need are ideas, though. And when someone like you or the people you are talking to show up with persuasive new ideas, they will spread. to ask you the question I've already asked you on your podcast uh, is that those small businesses, those are not necessarily um, professional businesses uh, when they started. How can they be seen and heard? Whereas today we're living in a world that is really, really noisy and they're big, big, larger companies that are uh, spending lots of time and money to convince people that what they do is better, could be better for the environment or better for the planet or people. And how can the small businesses I work with, how can they, uh, those the, those businesses that really have a deeply rooted desire to create change or such a cause, how can they make themselves heard effectively? Well, so let's, let's decode this a little bit using a, another example from food. Uh, a, a few years ago, Some people think the best thing and some people think the worst thing that happened in food happened in the United States, which is that Walmart started featuring and promoting organic products. Now, the people who had been struggling to bring organic to the world suddenly saw that one of the biggest retailers on the planet was embracing organic and pushing factory farms to sell organic stuff. Is this a bad thing or a good thing? Well, if your goal is to corner the market, it turns out it's a bad thing because now big evil companies are going to sell organic stuff. On the other hand, if your goal is to limit the use of pesticides and have lots and lots of organic things in the world, it's a good thing. So I would say the same thing's going on with small organizations in fashion. If your goal is to have big companies steal your ideas, congratulations, because they are stealing your ideas. Then what do you do? Then what you do is you double down. You make your ideas even more singular, even more vivid. You stay ahead on a race that the big companies are now paying attention to. Because we're not going to run 
out of ways to make fashion more ethical or more green. And the fact that big companies are pretending is a good thing if you are willing to keep pushing because they're going to have to keep copying you. Um, what you're trying to say is that small businesses, in a way, are leaders, could be leaders. Correct. Could be leaders. Many small businesses are so filled with fear that they are copying and they are followers and they are frustrated because they're saying, we're just like a big company, but smaller. And that's not a good excuse. But some small businesses show up to lead and they say, we have an advantage. We can take more risks. We can move faster. And we fully expect that the big companies will copy us and then we will move faster still. In my work, I try to avoid using the words, uh, some words that means a lot, but sometimes when they are not used the right way, they don't mean anything, which is um, environmental friendly or ethical or conscious. How can I share this idea that a product is good for the environment, but without using those words? Because I think that when those words are not clearly defined, uh, you can put a lot of nonsense in it. And I find it quite dangerous. Well, I think it depends on what is the purpose of words? The purpose of words is to communicate to other people. So let's say, for example, that you're in an apartment building and uh, a dangerous chemical spills and there are going to be fumes that require everybody to leave the building. If you wanted to, you could run up and down the hall saying, a dangerous chemical is spilled, there are fumes, everyone leave. Or you could just yell, fire, fire, fire. Because that's probably the best way to get people to run out of the building. And no one's going to yell at you later that there were fumes, not fire. And you should have said fumes, 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 right? So why are you using words at all? Who are you trying to send a signal to? What's the flag supposed to say? And if you are busy trying to sell your idea to an investor or to uh, a store that is looking for sustainable produced goods, you should use a phrase like sustainable produced goods because that's what they're looking for. And, you know, yeah, maybe it's a bratwurst, maybe it's a knockwurst, but if someone's looking for a hot dog, you should probably have on the sign hot dogs hmm. because that's what they're looking for. And once people have chosen to enroll, to pay attention, to trust you, now you can tell them a story and bringing new words in a new way that help make change happen. But I don't think you should avoid words on principle. I think the purpose of words is to connect. Now I would like to talk about marketing because you're a very prolific writer of marketing and you are also, let's see, uh, in the Guerrilla Marketing Hall of Fame, in the Direct Marketing Hall of Fame, and just recently... As you stated, the plain old non-modifier marketing hall of fame. So there are a few words that you use to talk about marketing, which is quite un not unusual, but it's actually something that is not taught in school. And so there are a few words I would like you to comment. Uh, so one is idiosyncrasy. Um, the other one is smallest viable audience, empathy, and Authenticity. Okay, well, that's a lot. But we, <laughs> we can, we well, can. you can choose whichever you want to talk about. Well, I'm happy to do them all. I'll just do them quickly. 
idiosyncrasy means that you are in and of yourself, that I can tell that you made it, that Alexander McQueen designed with idiosyncrasy. It wasn't a copy of Diane von Furstenberg. It was a special thing, idiosyncratic. Empathy is the people you are designing for, the people you are serving, the people you are selling to, they don't know what you know. They don't want what you want. They don't see what you see. And you have to be able to say, that's okay, right? That you don't have to be a cancer survivor to be an oncologist. And you don't have to be a woman to design clothes for women. That you have the opportunity to imagine what that other person might want and dream of and bring it to them. You also mentioned the smallest viable audience, which is key for a small business. And what it means is that you cannot, will not sell to everyone. It's impossible. So instead, the opportunity is to seek out a specific group of people, a very small group of people, enough people. I had a friend who was one of the pioneers in vegan fashion, and she was selling coats for three or $400. If she had sold a thousand of them, it would be a lot. That's a thousand out of eight million people in New York. That's a thousand out of 300 million people in the United States. It's a thousand out of seven billion people on earth. It's nothing, it's zero. Focus on that, focus on enough, and then scale will take care of itself. I'm sorry, what was the fourth one? Authenticity. Yeah, authenticity is a crock. Authenticity is pretend that nobody knows the real you. Nobody understands everything you're dealing with. That's not what they're buying, and it's not what you can offer them. All that you can offer them is a promise, and you can keep it. Your customers don't want you to be authentic. They want you to be consistent. They want you to perform even when you don't know they're watching. But consistent is totally different than the authenticity of selfishness and doing whatever you feel like it. You know, Coco Chanel was never authentic. She was merely consistent. I think it's a good segue to um, talk about another subject, which is being creative. I've been part of the first creative workshop. And um, along the way, I actually, when I started, I didn't think I was doing something creative. But along the way, I realized that running a business is an act of creativity. This is correct. Can you, can you elaborate on that? I explain with your words, why is it an um, act of creativity running a business? Well, what is creativity? Creativity is a combination of two things. Doing something for other people by solving an interesting problem and being willing to do things that might not work. Those are the two elements, really three. Other people with something that might not work and an interesting problem. And That feels to me like the very definition of running an appropriate small business. Not a locksmith or you know, a, a, a boulangerie that sells baguette just like everybody else's. Those are small businesses, but they're not creative. But to be on the vanguard, to be experimenting with things that might not work, that's creative. It doesn't matter that you have a paintbrush or not. But you know, very often people and we believe that we need to learn Uh, what has been done before. And this is actually not necessarily the right attitude, is it? Well, no, you must have done the reading. 
You have to know what came before or you will make the same mistakes the people before you made. It would be foolish for me to go into the fashion business because I don't understand. I don't know what the people who came before me decided or what they rejected. I don't understand the genre. And so that doesn't mean you copy what came before, but you certainly echo it, mirror it, amplify it, distort it, and change it. But if you don't know what came before, then you're basically on a fool's errand. You recently, it was last week, I think, uh, wrote a blog post about tools for modern citizens in which you uh, explained that we have a choice today. Either we will be a mere victim of what's happening today or we can take action. But in order to take action, we need to learn and have the knowledge of certain things and get the tools. So I'm wondering, uh, not necessarily for fashion business owners, but for all kind of uh, business owners that want to use their business to create some sort of a change, what could be the tools for modern business owners? Well, so it's certainly different than the ones that were in my blog post on the 7th. But um, if you don't stay in business, you can't make a difference. So you have to understand cash flow. If you can't make useful decisions, you're going to get cornered. So you have to understand decision making. And the third thing I would say is, if your ideas don't spread, then you're never going to show up in front of anybody. So if you can figure out those three things, how to keep positive cash flow, how to make useful decisions, and how ideas spread, I think you're going to be ahead of the game. Hmm. How can we learn to make, to make decisions? Well, Annie Duke wrote a book called Thinking in Bets, and I have a short course on LinkedIn. Um, Decision-making is a skill. Juggling is a skill. Learning how to sew a hem is a skill. It's not something you're born with. And so if you decide to get good at making decisions, then you will learn about sunk cost fallacy and you will learn about the other uh, biases that we have when we make bad decisions, beginning with the fact that we don't even understand what a decision is. A good decision has nothing to do with whether it turned out well. It has to do with if we were making the decision again, would we make it in the same way? I usually interview people with small businesses on my podcast. You have owned, or you might still be owning, um, more than one business, but you like to define yourself as someone who's working on projects. So um, how do you decide which projects are worth spending your time and energy on And how would you define success when you engage in a project? Or more generally, how do you define a successful work life? Oh, I don't know. I'm not as good at it as I'd like to be. Uh, once you have enough money to support your family, pay for healthcare and food, then the question is, what difference are you seeking to make? And how do you want to spend your day? And I decided I want to spend my day as a freelancer, not with a team, not with investors, 
not building something huge, but just me. But other people spend their day doing it either as a small business and proud of it, or as an entrepreneur seeking to make something of really big scale. These are choices about how you want to spend your time. And then the question is, what change do you seek to make? Because if you're not making a change, then why are you here exactly? And if we can get clear about the change we seek to make, it's a lot easier to have a compass to keep us pointed in the right direction. This is a question that I haven't used uh, in a long time. It's my time capsule question. If you can put a message in a time capsule um, with a message for past generations or future generations, what would you write in it? Well, we are making a time capsule for future generations every day. And so I've already left them 8,000 messages. And I just want to remind people that that's what they do. When they show up at work, when they are creating a product, when they are writing online, you're sending a time capsule to the future, and you shouldn't do it if you're not proud of it. And I think if I was sending a time capsule to the past, uh, I guess the shortest version would be uh, treat other people with dignity and don't dig coal and oil out of the ground. I think if we had started doing those two things 400 years ago, uh, the world would be a lot better today. Okay. Thank you so much, Seth. It's a pleasure. Thank you for the work you do, for the leadership you bring, and for caring so much about making things better. I really appreciate you. What you will hear now is a behind-the-scenes audio part of this episode. As I've explained in the introduction, I have learned so much from Seth. And he had such a great impact on me and in the way I approach my work that I wanted to take the opportunity of the podcast to officially thank him for that. But then when I listened to the recording of this conversation, I realized that I sounded like a fun girl who was trying to hijack the podcast. And I'm not sure that my personal experience with Seth will add enough value to the listeners to start the conversation with such a personal praise. But I still want to keep it because this praise was coming straight from the bottom of my heart. And if you have been this far on this episode with us, I'm glad to share this part with you as well. Hi, Seth. I'm very glad that you're here today on this show. I don't want to sound like a fun girl, but the truth is that I am. And so I just want to start a little bit by sharing why I'm such a fun girl. And so I've been a big, big, big follower of your work uh, for many years. And in the past few years, you have been a real mentor to me. And uh, I'll tell you why. Um, Actually, it started with the podcast, the podcasting fellowship. I decided to sign up for the podcast workshop with no intention to launch a podcast, but just because my birthday is in August and I was on holiday and I like to buy myself a nice gift and I have no idea what to buy because I was on holiday and I saw your email saying, oh, well, uh, why don't you want to learn how to launch a podcast? And I thought, that could be a brilliant idea. So I signed up, I bought myself this gift and I didn't know that it would transform my life because I launched this podcast. I've been um, 
I've been following every step, every every step of the workshop. And then last year, when the world started to become crazy and um, and uh, that the pandemic started to hit us very hard, you set up something amazing. You created a space, different spaces actually, for us to feel more connected and to learn and to take care and to grow together. And uh, this is just amazing. And I just want to tell you that to me, you are the embodiment of intellectual generosity. Thank you. And you're always graceful uh, in the way you show up to the world and you're always thoughtful. And, um, and also you have this amazing, amazing skill to make people feel that they are special in a way and they can be themselves and create a difference or show up to the world just by being themselves and um, live a more meaningful life. So that's for all that. That's very nice of you to say. Thank you. In addition to you know, to all the books that you have written and um, your um, incredible experience and knowledge, but uh, I think this part is, um, is really, really important. So thank you very, very much. Thank you so much for listening. Did you like this episode? If you've enjoyed listening to Better Business Founder, why don't you share this podcast with a friend that could also benefit from these conversations? You can also subscribe wherever you normally get your podcasts and leave a review to help other people find these conversations. And if you have any questions or suggestions, you can email me at hello at betterbusinessfounder.com. Hello at betterbusinessfounder.com. And I would love to hear from you because I believe that your business is the catalyst to create the change you want to see in the world. Mm -hmm.